Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Farming in Newfoundland isn't just about tilling the land or reaping a harvest. It's a testament to our resilience, adaptation, and a rich history. The Northeast Avalon Peninsula was once fed by local farms. But today we face considerable challenges in food security and sustainability. Our landscape, while beautiful, sometimes poses challenges for traditional farming, making food sustainability not just a choice, but a necessity. One beacon of hope and inspiration is the O'Brien Farm. Situated right in the heart of St. John's, this farm tells a story. It's a tale of Irish settlement, a saga of the O'Brien family's determination and their passion to keep their land away from urban development. For over 180 years, this land has seen cattle graze and farmers working in the field. Today, we learn about the pastures of this iconic farm and discuss its contributions to addressing our food challenges. To tell us more, we have Aaron Rogers, the general manager of O'Brien Farm. Aaron's insights and experience at the farm will shed light on how such institutions can pave the way for a sustainable food future in our province. So let's get to the roots of Newfoundland farming heritage and the promise it holds for our future. Hey, Aaron, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to chat with you today. This is something that I've actually gotten into a lot this year is gardening, sustainable food. And so we crossed paths. It was really a great opportunity for me to learn selfishly about something I'm really interested in, but also learn more about what you guys do. Can you, can you tell me a bit about yourself and about O'Brien Farm? Sure. So for me, I am from California. So out here in Newfoundland is kind of kind of new for me. My wife's a Newfoundlander and we moved out here four years ago. I grew up in an agricultural area in California and had a lot of access to farm work. And I didn't want to do farming at all. My dad's a farmer. I didn't want to do farming at all. But the land just kind of keeps bringing back and, and you realize like what an interesting science agriculture is. So you get to both make things observe things, test ideas. The challenge is omnipresent in agriculture. And also if you enjoy being outside, I mean, it's a, it's a really good profession. If, if you like being outside and you like listening to birds and, you know, seeing wildlife running around and, and things like that. So grow, growing things. I mean, again, like watching something grow is kind of always fascinating. So I traveled the world for a while and I did agriculture in a couple different places around the world. I spent some time in West Africa, farming in the desert. Uh, I spent some time in the American South doing nursery work. And my wife and I decided to move here just to change of change the scenery, which has been excellent for us and our family. And in the process of moving here, one day, a number of people started sending me this application that was out there for a job at this place called O'Brien Farm. And so I immediately applied. It sounded super cool. I kind of looked it up. It, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of information about it, but just the fact that there was a farm in St. John's that needed someone to work at it, you know, is one of those things. I would, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you pulling you back, doesn't it? That's, that's right. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, you know, that's that's so interesting because yes, I've been learning about farming this year, and it seems like every single day the the garden's doing great. Then the next day, too much rain and too much of this, and it's just constantly like I was putting tums in calcium next to the roots of my zucchini the other day, and I was like, "What? I hope this is right." Anyway, I find it very very interesting. I look forward to picking your brain on that. But you know, tell me a bit about O'Brien Farm. It tells the story of an Irish settlement in St. John's and yeah. the O'Brien family. There's a bit of history there, hey. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's what makes this project that much more interesting. I think is that it, it does combine an agriculture project with a history project, 
So the, the farm itself is over 200 years old. Fellow like an Irish immigrant named John O'Brien moved out of here. It was during the second wave of Irish immigration where the city of St. John was basically recognized and the colonial government like recognized that people were actually living here year round because for a long time, right? Like people had these work contracts where they'd come over and they'd just fish in the summer and then they'd have to go back to, to Europe. And so they started to realize people were living here. We need to make sure that people have food. This freshwater valley area through here was pretty much all settled by Irish immigrants. And so like where the Avalon Mall is right now, right? Like we're all in the car dealerships and all that kind of stuff. That was all farmland. And that would have been actually really good farmland because it's like in a low valley, a glacial till, there was a big a river that kind of ran through it that actually goes underneath the mall right now. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, and so this, this property over here that was settled by John O'Brien and later his wife came over, Mary, it was, uh, it, it, it's not prime farmland by any means. It's kind of up on this hill and it's rocky and it's kind of like lots of different little funky pieces and stuff, but they were able to keep it as a farm for four generations. And when the Freshwater Valley started, you know, becoming more urbanized and you started seeing all the farms selling for development and all, the O'Briens were really adamant that they wanted to keep this in agriculture. In the heart of St. John's, where urban sprawl meets the tranquility of nature, lies a piece of Newfoundland's treasure past, the O'Brien Farm. For over 180 years, this land has whispered tales of resilience, tradition, and Irish settlement. The O'Brien family, with their enduring spirit, made this patch of earth a testament to Newfoundland's agricultural prowess. Dairy operations flourished, cattle grazed in the meadows, and fields were alive with farming activity. But as the city started to develop, the O'Brien brothers, John, Mike, and Allie, stood as relics of the past and fiercely protected their land. Allie, with the support of his community and the provincial government, held off the looming shadows of urbanization, ensuring that this farm remained a vivid reminder of St. John's agricultural legacy. Way back in the 1850s, we saw the rise of Thimble Cottage, which was an emblematic saltbox-style house, which is a symbol of tradition in Newfoundland architecture. But by 1875, it had become the farm's beating heart. The winds of time also ushered in the O'Brien Farm Foundation, ensuring that Allie's wishes were brought to life, blending history, agriculture, and sustainability in perfect harmony. Today, O'Brien Farm stands not just as a relic of the past, but a beacon for the future, a legacy of a family's love for the land and a promise to generations yet to come. The last generation of people that lived here were three brothers. So it went from, you know, your typical kind of like Irish settlers, two people, mid-sized family, huge family, huge family. And then people move and go all over the place, kind of go down to the United States, travel, die, all that kind of stuff. And so it was these three brothers that lived here and they never got married, no children. And they just lived this like really, really Spartan, old Irish style farm existence, agricultural mm -hmm. existence from, uh, from like the, the early 20th century all the way into the beginning of the 21st century. Huh. That's interesting. And I'd have to think that, you know, if these farms are fostered to create our communities here and be able to sustain people to actually make cities and towns, that these farms like O'Brien farm, but other ones around the Avalon in particular would be really important to our history. Like how big of a role did they actually play? 
I think more and more people are realizing that that there is no real way to develop a community without an adequate food source, right? And a, a sustaining food source, a food source that's reasonably secure. I mean, you know, there, there are the stories of the little communities in Newfoundland, but certainly all over the world, like everywhere that I've traveled, I was like, there was a drought, there was a flood, there was something that happened, food was gone, and then the community is just gone. But, you know, people walked away, they died, they walked away, and they said, we can't, you know, just unlivable right now. So I think in that respect, like, it's just one of those things that's so easy to forget in our modern convenience lifestyle. But I mean, I, I can't imagine that St. John's would develop the way that it did, certainly in the 19th and 20th century, without having a significant farm community next to it that can provide it with the the basics of living. It's one of those things. We forget we all eat like three meals a day. I know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's true. Well, you also said that people change and things move on. And that's really what happened with O'Brien Farm, right? And so how, how does it run now if that family isn't directly involved like it was? So, so one of the coolest things that I think happened here was that the brothers were known kind of like three different personalities, right? Up here on the side of the hill. And two of them were, were, were a little standoffish, which happens a lot in agriculture. People say, you know, like, get, get away from what I'm doing. You, it's, yeah. it's unsafe or whatever it might be. Um, and then one of them was really like gregarious and outgoing and knew a lot of people, Ali O'Brien. And he was the, the youngest brother and he, he was the last to pass away. And he wrote this will in which he dedicated the property to remaining in agricultural production, right? So they could have sold this a million times over. For developers, they could have taken the money, moved down to Florida, you know, whatever they wanted to do. And they wanted to keep it and and not only while they were living here, but certainly after they passed. And so through the jigs and reels, it went from private property to public property. So it is technically owned by the provincial government, but then O'Brien Farm as a foundation leases it from the provincial government. So we're a nonprofit charitable organization whose mission and mandate is to preserve the history of the farm, but also to continue developing agriculture on it. And there's a bunch of different ways to do that. And having a board, you end up with a lot of different ideas, some of them that can work and some of them that can't. So we're just kind of still working through that after 10 years. But yeah, the, the foundation's been up and running for 12 years now. And I think we've made a lot of progress in the last little while. Uh, that's interesting. And I guess that's that's really important right now when we start to shift gears here to talk about like why farming is so important in Newfoundland and Labrador is that how have you guys fostered this movement towards sustainable farming and, and also conserving heritage at the same time? So we're really lucky because um, it's like built in to, you know, what we were supposed to do. So again, like that's where the O'Brien family and Ali O'Brien, I think really just like had a vision. And again, we, we hope that we're honoring it, but, you know, certainly the vision of maintaining a heritage style agriculture. And, and I think that's really important because there is elements of older versions of farming that are much more sustainable on environmental side. That can also mean it's more difficult, means it's less profitable. There's a lot of things that, you know, like we talk about sustainability, you kind of have to think about that like balancing equation, which is not easy, but certainly that informs a lot of what we do here. And we try and use more and more of it. Luckily, there are a lot of people like a lot of 
researchers, folklorists, and historians and stuff at the university that were able to gather as much information from the brothers, especially from Ali before he passed. So that kind of, again, really helps what we do. In terms of the agriculture side, I mean, the, the goal of trying to develop more farmers in Newfoundland, I think is really, really important, right? I mean, the, just numbers wise, it went from 30,000 farms plus or minus here on the island down to like 3,000 farms now, right? And so there's less and less places to do it. More and more of the farmland gets kind of gobbled up by development. Which is not surprising. That's wor a worldwide issue. But the biggest issue, I think, is the people that run it. Right? Like farms don't can't exist on their own. It's not something that you can you can automate certain parts of it, but you can't automate the entirety of it. It's it's just a again, it's a science, right? It's trying to like automate. I don't know, being a biochemist. You know, it's like you still need a human brain, <laughs> yeah, good hands, like things like that to make it work. Yeah, and so. I think the biggest issue from from my point of view is is not the the lack of farmland it's the lack of farmers mm -hmm. and that's what we're trying to really help foster i was just gonna say to your point like chat gpt can tell you what you need to do but it can't do it for you <laughs> yeah so yeah I, I get it i get it and I, I guess you know that's another thing is maybe to bring the point home for people is just uh, how how is food sustainability as an island important for our long-term health as as a province? Because, you know, we have a lot less food production in this province than other places around the country. So I like to think about it in two different directions. So I studied as like an agriculture economist, right? And so my answer always is it depends. <laughs> like I always try and qualify it. But I think it's important to break break the that kind of thinking into two pieces. So one is food sustainability and one is food security. So in terms of food sustainability, right? Like you're, you're talking about looking at it from a health perspective, from how much can we get that is, again, like sustaining the populations that we have here that is as we kind of learn more and more about medicine, about the way that our food affects us, certainly like what you do for a living and, and see how is that impacting us as, as, as individuals and as a society, right? And, and also uh, impacting our environment, our local environment and our global environment, right? And so th those are, again, big, huge questions that have many, many, many different answers. But I think in terms of like food sustainability. Some basics that I think local food movements provide are one, a lot less trucking, right? Just a lot less transportation. Transportation, you know, is, is a big global problem right now. So with carbon and all that kind of stuff. Two is providing healthier communities. And that's in terms of like the way that our communities are developed, right? So not everything being a function of an online worker that that goes out. So, and I'm not trying to attack any any like that idea of it. It's just being able to say like you produce things in your community, you manufacture things in your, your community, you have artisans in your community, musicians, like all of those things make healthier, happier communities. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think having like a lo local food sources is very, very much part of that, right? Like foundationally to like human development, that's the beginnings of it. I mean, that's why, you know, the Greeks and the Egyptians and the Persians, like all these cultures 
you know, it, earliest writings and all were like recipes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And I can believe that. I mean, you know, and that's the thing. Like, you know, we are vulnerable here. It's not just trucking. It's if the ferries aren't going, we don't have food. But when it comes to what you guys are doing, you guys are helping promote that within the community right now. So can you explain how you guys actually assist, almost like an incubator, for new farmers in the community? Because I love this concept. Yes, yeah, so that's that's exactly what we do. So one of the big projects that we do here, and, and personally, my, my favorite, is Newfound Farmers Incubation Program. So one of the things that I think most people in agriculture would recognize is that it's about the people that do it, right? Entrepreneurs that are in there, agriculturalists that are going to try and like make a go out of it. But what you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of old farmers that are retiring, that are dying off. There isn't a lot of people to replace them. And you certainly want people to have choice in what they do for a living and all that kind of stuff. The issue with a lot of careers and things like that, maybe there's a lot of barriers to entry in that choice. So I, I can't just wake up tomorrow and say like, guys, I think I'm going to be a doctor. Like, I just feel like I'm going to go, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> going to go, going to go like rent a medical clinic and just be a doctor, right? Like that's, yeah. that's true. So, <laughs> good point. For good reason. Yeah. And so, but then there's also reasons that aren't so good. So, so one of them is um, if, if someone's like, you know what, I, I've done some backyard gardening. I've worked on a farm a little bit. I think I could run a farm. I think I could produce some food for my local community or maybe even my global community. Again, it's if you're into it, you're into it, right? Like you want to go start a, a dairy farm or something like that. I mean, again, there's a lot of moving pieces. But the big issue is just that giant leap that you have to make financially, regulatory-wise, you know, like land, all these giant pieces that that have to be put in place to even kind of get started it, to get your foot in the door, right? So let's not think about like starting a dairy. Let's think about starting like a vegetable farm. Yeah. You have to do a lot to have a vegetable farm that's going to sustain a family of 3.5 people. Uh, um, even with two household incomes and the rest of it, right? Yep. And what happens is that a lot of people give up on the dream. Yeah. Say it's just not possible. I, I can't do it. And I think what the issue there is that food security issue that you were talking about, like the sustainability and the security. So we don't have people going into that field. Then we are completely reliant on the boats and things like that coming in. And so what we're trying to do here is break down those barriers. And the way that I think we can best do that is giving people an opportunity to have access to land, to infrastructure, to irrigation, to some mentoring, and to easy market, right? Market development. I mean, that's the other thing. That's the kind of the, I read this in a, a, a like farming book that I really liked it. Like the difference between gardening and farming is that gardening, you grow stuff, farming, you grow stuff and you sell stuff. <laughs> oh, you know, so you still have to like get it, take it to market, figure out how that you're going to make some money to reinvest in your own business. So that's what we do here is that we really try to foster that kind of in-between stage between I'm a good grower and I think I want to do this for a living and I have a proven track record where I can go to a bank I can go to a community-supported agriculture agency and things like that and uh, walk in there and say, like, my business plan is legit. I have a bunch of customers already. I see how I can provide for my local community. 
Right on. And before we get into like, the, you know, how you actually help people create their farms, I guess, you know, you have a learning center and support and that's for people in the community that aren't necessarily like residing in your farm, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So the learning center is really kind of like that in-between phase between the heritage side of what we do, the, the history and heritage side and the farm. And so the pieces that I think kind of go together is one, being able to kind of like learn the historic side of what we do about the family here and having a place where people can kind of get a sense of it, you know, in, in like a museum-ish kind of setting in our heritage home here. So like our offices are in a 170 year old building, yeah. <laughs> a little, little cottage house. And then we, we build this big barn or we call it our kitchen barn. Because, I mean, the connection that everyone has there between, far, like, if you've never set foot on a farm in your life, you still, again, you eat three times a day. Like, <laughs> yeah, human beings on average, some, you know, some unfortunately only eat two, some unfortunately only eat one, you know, like, that's the, that's the connection, right? It's taking the, the agriculture, it's turning into food, and everyone gets to enjoy the food. So, so having that kind of space where people can see, and there's a big garden in front of it and all. Where they get this sense of like, like history, family, food, a little bit of agriculture production, and it just closes that loop. And then we want them to like, you know, now let's go out on the farm and see what it looks like in in practice. Well, well, let's talk about those people that you've actually got that are working on your site here. Who do you have that's actually residing there as these incubated farming groups? Yeah, so we have eight different agriculturalists that have their own small businesses kind of running out of the farm here, which is awesome. We have four vegetable growers that are various levels of success, right? Various different business models. I mean, that's the other thing. We've got people selling directly to restaurants, selling at the farmer's market, selling CSA subscription boxes, just kind of growing big loads of stuff and kind of sell it almost wholesale. We have someone that's doing a herb project. So just big herb farm, someone that's doing plants specifically for dyeing fabric. Oh, cool. Again, there's agriculture products are in so many different things, right? And that's not, you know, it's, it's for us here to kind of determine viability and and, uh, be super prescriptive, you know? And that's kind of what I do too. Like I, someone came in and said, oh, I've got this business plan. I'm going to grow bananas in Newfoundland. Yeah. I'd say like, I don't know, like, let's not do that. But someone comes in and says, there's a significant knitting community in Newfoundland and, mm-hmm. and, and and fabric arts are, you know, kind of part of our culture and all. And I'd love to create farm that grows plants specifically to that. Like, that's cool. That's something I would never think of. Yeah. Right. Um, so again, like getting to foster that, we have a fella who raises goats here, kind of specific to the African Caribbean diaspora. We have fellas doing our beekeeping. So Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, it's it's very broad, right? That's kind of the goal. And I, I think in terms of the sustainability going forward with regards to environment, having diversified farms are really, really important. Right. So it also allows us to kind of like experiment in that respect too. But uh, Tell me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't the bees be really good for the rest of the crops if they're pollinating and things like that to have that close by? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And it's a function of management, right? Yeah. Like bee- beekeeping is a, is a real, is an art unto itself. And so you have to learn how to do it and you have to get good at it. It's not something that you want to just unleash the livestock that we have here, the goats. I mean, their byproduct is great for our soils. Yeah. Uh, only if you kind of have a composting program, you know how to like yes. incorporate it 
in a healthy, you know, proper way and things like that. So it's that, that kind of regenerative model of yep. trying to take as many kind of natural pieces and natural is always a hard, hard word to kind of like, mm-hmm. um, deal with in this context, but take as many kind of ecological supportive pieces and work them together into a farm system. Yeah. Reusing. I would say it's the most important R, right? So I get that. I understand the science of composting a little bit now too. My God, it's uh, that's a whole separate ball game. But I got to think that for these people to start these ventures, there has to be a lot of support. You mentioned some of the amenities that you provide them with irrigation and tools and then space, of course. Part of what I what we do here, and I, I try and be really adamant, this is like we're a, we're a learning farm. We're not a teaching farm. You know, so my expertise is in agriculture adoption of blueberry harvesting machines. Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, like that's, yeah, it's work and, and that's it, right? Yes. Yeah, Red cool. Farm is just, is, uh, you know, learn from different sources, re- again, just experience, different sources, co- you know, coursework and things like that. So the goal is for the farmers to really try and go out and, and do it on their own. Uh-huh. Uh, and learn on their own and then co-op a lot of that information too. And that's right. the other thing that we can really do here, which I think is important is just provide a space for multiple people that are kind of in the same position as beginning entrepreneurs, beginning agriculture entrepreneurs to uh, connect and talk and share ideas and share information and work together on certain things. And so that's, yeah. that's really neat to see too. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's that's good. I mean, you know, and and also there is a huge financial contribution when it comes to space and and equipment and mentorship and all these are the things that are direct costs to to running a farm. Now, this is called the Newfound Farmers Program, and if somebody is interested in that, how do they actually apply to be part of it? The way that we kind of have our application process for Newfound Farmers is is it's a two stage process. So the first one is a paperwork side where we want a business plan, a production plan, and cash flow statements. So what we want people to understand is that, again, this isn't gardening. This is this is farming. This is beginning stages of agriculture in which you're, you've got to go out there and you got to sell your stuff. And, and you need to sell it because you need to reinvest in yourself. And that's the biggest point that we want to bring home, right? If you want to take all the small amount of profits that you're going to do here, if you have any at all, and again, this is a this learning farm, it's not a teaching farm, and take that and you know go on vacation or something, that's fine. I'm not here to tell you what to do with your money, but the idea of being able to take that and reinvest in yourself, and certainly trying to do that next jump in five years, because our, our program's about five years long, is important. But so we need that. The idea of like, okay, you're, you are running a business here. Uh, two, you have a good sense of how you're producing what you're doing. So again, someone comes and says, I want to grow mango trees here. I'd kind of look at that production plan. I'd say, I don't think this is really viable. And then having a little bit of cash in your bank. Because again, starting anything, I mean, it does take a you know a small investment. Now, totally. O'Brien Farms taken on the vast majority of it, right? Mm-hmm. Land, irrigation infrastructure, just having roads to get where you need to go. We have some great greenhouse capabilities. We have tractors, we have small hand tractors, we have tools, things like that, right? Cool. So all that's that's built in, which is great because you can just jump straight in and say, I've got trays and trays of squash and tomatoes and lettuce, blah, 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 and I'm ready to go and put them in the ground as soon as I get my soil nice and amended. So that's kind of the first phase. The second phase of the application 
is a good long conversation about whether or not this is really what you want to do. And I think that's really important because people will sometimes talk themselves out of it <laughs> in that conversation. And that's a-okay. Yeah. That is 100% okay. What I don't want to do is give anybody a unreasonable expectation that it's easy, that it's going to always be fun, that you're not going to get sunburn or pull a muscle or twist an ankle or any of that kind of stuff, and that you're going to make a bunch of money. So, you know, if if you can have that, <laughs> have that kind of conversation and kind of go through all the process until they say, you know what, this is what I want to do. I want to give this a go. I really am going to put my put my heart, put my energy into this. Then we'll have a long conversation about starting it here at O'Brien Farms. Well, it's really interesting to say that, you know, we move into like what people can get exposed to it is that I just got back from uh, Okinawa where they promote Ikigai, which is doing something that you love, doing something you're good at, doing something that you get paid for, doesn't have to be the most, but also doing something the world needs. And farming is one of those things that if, if you're passionate about it, it satisfies all those requirements and that can give people a real sense of purpose in their life and a real sense of fulfillment. But for people that want to come see your operation, they may not realize you're right in town. What are some of the attractions and features people can see if they come by and get a tour, for example, at your farm? Yeah, so we we are. We're absolutely like, right. Again, we're we're a 10-minute walk away from the Avalon Mall. <laughs> Crazy. I love that, though. Uh, so we do have the new learning center area. It has a small museum. You can come in and see the Thimble Cottage, which is, again, kind of like a reinterpreted 1850 salt box home. Gardens, we have trails kind of going through the property, which are actually kind of fun because a lot of the trails are function of either cows when the O'Brien Farms had a small dairy program here because they make little trails kind of going through the woods, going places, or probably old moose trails that, you know, it's on the side of the hill right here. And then we have all these farms kind of sprinkled through Arthur's, which is really, really fun too. So yeah, and, and people are welcome to kind of walk around and, and look at what we have going on. We also have a number of different activities throughout the year. So we do... Um, different workshops, some related to farming, agriculture, to artisans, some specific to the his history. And that's all on your website too, isn't it? I think I saw like that with the calendar. Uh, yeah. I feel like there's a calendar of your website of all these activities too. Yeah, so, we do. We, okay. we absolutely do. Okay. So then we've got like the, the real farming, which we've talked a lot about today, but there's lots of people like myself that are dabbling in it, learning about how to guard producing food for myself. And now like it's going happening so quick. For all my friends and family, I'm always dropping off greens, stuff like that to them. Uh, what resources do you have for general population that are that are getting into it? So right now we don't have a, a lot of education programs specific to gardening. I think next year we're going to really lean in a lot more and certainly let our farmers that are up here kind of ex have some uh, experience with workshopping and things like that for gardening going forward. Um, we also do have a community garden here on site. I think we'll, we'll have a few openings next year. And we actually do a fun little program. We run a cooperative garden here. So it's the same thing. It's it's learning by doing and people get to work together in that. So you have your own little plot, but also you get to share the bounty of like a much bigger garden that we all work together on. So, you know, I, I personally feel like the best learning that you can do in this environment is by experimenting and talking with your peers and getting good ideas from them, 
and trying it out yourself. And so that's really what we try and promote as much as we can here at the farm. Mm. And I mean, you know, so we're starting to wind down here, but you've had experience gardening all over the world. This is what you do. You know, what would be your sort of takeaway message for anybody that's listening here today about like, you know, farming here in the province? Um, so I personally have found just as much personal satisfaction, like, like true gratifying satisfaction in growing things, raising animals and, and working with a natural environment as I have in being able to take the fruits of the labor and cooking with it. Right. And, and I think that there's a lot to that, that the idea that you can both produce something and go through the actions of making something happen. And whether that's growing a few tomato plants and some pots on your back deck or building a whole farm, like a big old huge farm and, you know, seeing it kind of come to fruition. Both are, both are truly this kind of gratifying production process. And then being able to take that at the very end of it and having it something that like does physically sustain you in a healthy way is just such a miraculous uh, endeavor. And so it, my advice to anyone who wants to do it is embrace the kind of crazy miracle of it and forget about the powdery mildew, <laughs> the pest pressures, the fact that a rabbit might come by and eat it all, right? Yeah. That's just part of the process. Like, don't worry about it. The 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 joys of it far outweigh the the risk and the failures. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it's a fun little thing. Every morning, I grab my coffee, I go outside, I get to see what's growing, what's not. What did I do wrong? I have to look it up, learn some little tidbit each day. And for me, it's been something that I've looked forward to. It's very mindful and it's very rewarding because when you do make that salad or you have those greens or you make the beets, even if it's only a couple of them, it's still is a pretty cool accomplishment. They always taste better to me. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for letting me pick your brain. It's great to hear from you. And I look forward to coming up and seeing that place in action myself. Absolutely. You're always welcome. Come on up. As we wrap up today's exploration of O'Brien Farm, we don't just carry with us tales of yesteryears, but also lessons for a brighter tomorrow. From the dedicated O'Brien family to the fields that have seen seasons of change, we've gone through Newfoundland's agricultural roots. But what stands out isn't just its history, it's the farm's modern commitment to the community. O'Brien Farm isn't just a relic from the past, it's a beacon for the present. By promoting community gardens, they're empowering residents to grow their own fresh and nutritious food. And for those dreaming of a life connected to the land, the farm offers a nurturing ground, allowing budding farmers to learn, thrive, and shape our food future here in the province. Our journey today underscores the truth that our roots deeply influence our growth. With passion, unity, and respect for both the past and the present, we can sow seeds for a sustainable tomorrow. Well, thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your... VOCM.